homily for Corpus Christi Sunday, June 6, 2021, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. By God's grace, this weekend, my classmates and I mark the 22nd anniversary of our ordination as priests. In a wonderful coincidence, the day after my ordination happened to be Corpus Christi Sunday, the date when I offered my first Mass of Thanksgiving as a priest. And it's such an important characteristic of this role, this vocation, to which God has called me. We've received one newly ordained priest this weekend and three newly ordained transitional deacons in the Diocese of Fargo. Please keep these men in your prayers. It's enlightening to learn about the origin of the various feasts in the Church's year, Today's solemnity is relatively recent compared to many others. The history behind why we have a solemnity of Corpus Christi dates back to a 16-year-old girl from Belgium in the 1200s named St. Juliana of Liège. Later in life, she became a nun, and she received visions from Christ, asking her to promote a feast honoring the Eucharist in the Church. Jesus gave Juliana three main reasons for this observance. One, in order that the Catholic doctrine might receive aid from the institution of this festival, at a time when the faith of the world was growing cold and heresies were rife. Secondly, that the faithful who love and seek truth and piety may be enabled to draw from this source of life new strength and vigor to walk continually in the way of virtue. And three, that irreverence and sacrilegious behavior towards the divine majesty in this adorable sacrament may by sincere and profound adoration be extirpated and repaired. Well, how badly needed are those same remedies in the time in which we live? I would say certainly as much as they were needed back then. One custom that quickly developed once the Feast of Corpus Christi became more widely adapted was to hold a procession through the streets of the town. These became lengthy and elaborate affairs in many places, including things like parade floats and artillery salutes accompanying the procession of the Holy Eucharist. Our procession will happen following the 8.30 a.m. Mass on Corpus Christi Sunday, and we will keep ours simple. The Eucharist has both active and contemplative dimensions. We do not only adore Christ from a distance or only receive him bodily, but are able to do both. Now, the first reading the Church gives us today from the book of Exodus may conjure up a repulsive image for us. Being sprinkled with the blood of an animal sacrifice seems disgusting. They did not know the medical details that we do, but it was obvious that, without blood, you would be dead. Well, this reading challenges us to be able to say a couple of things about ourselves. Firstly, my entire life must be lived in fidelity to the covenant, marked by sacrifice and personal commitment. And secondly, I must realize my dignity sharing in the priesthood of Christ, 
being one with him, and having the privilege of extending his message to the world. Corpus Christi Sunday invites us to hold on to two seemingly different ideas at the same time, humility and majesty. Since there have been times in the church's history when a large portion of believers have done one or the other in excess, let's talk first of all about humility. The God of the universe has made himself vulnerable by sending his Son into our human experience and doubly vulnerable in being our food and drink. Bread and wine were a part of the Passover meal from the beginning. But these elements are common and exist everywhere in some form or fashion. On Holy Thursday night, Jesus didn't break out the champagne and caviar. He used these two humble staple foods that were part of the Passover meal. Neither did Jesus leave the choice to us to substitute something we might care for more. When I visit with children who are preparing to make their first Holy Communion, I like to ask them if I could decide one day to use Oreos and Mountain Dew for Mass. And they say, no, no, you're not able to do that. And they're right. Picture a dusty hut in a remote village, where today, at this moment, a priest is saying Mass for his people. The Lord Jesus is there, just as surely as he is here. The requirements of sharing in the Eucharist do not involve prestige or being from the right kind of family, as would, let's say, membership in an elite club. Rather, the requirements are faith and the proper disposition, being free of grave sin, so as not to eat or drink condemnation upon ourselves. Those who stand on both the top and bottom rungs of society's ladder are to stand side by side in the communion line. St. Paul scolded the Corinthians in his first letter to that community for having a bad habit of segregating themselves during Mass instead of sharing their alms with everyone. Now, the second category of majesty. Who is it, after all, that desires to be present to us in this way? None other than the Son of God. And because of that, we take care to observe certain things. Ministers at the liturgy wear clean and untattered vestments and albs. Also, the vessels we use are solid with a precious metal coating, not chintzy or prone to break. The Blessed Sacrament is reposed in a decorative tabernacle and exposed in a fancy monstrance for the purposes of adoration. The house of God ought not to possess the ordinariness of a multi-purpose room or auditorium, as though the people who occupy it have to supply all of the color in the space. Our forefathers understood this well here at our parish and sacrificed to make it happen. The artwork, stained glass, furnishings, and architecture are to transport us in a noble, grand way when we have the means and even, perhaps, beyond those means. I like to recall the story that I heard about a church in Kansas, near the city of Hayes, the Basilica of St. Fidelis, 
the first pastors in the late 1800s asked for six wagon loads of sandstone from the local quarry as a donation from every household. So humility and majesty dwell together in the church's stewardship of the Eucharist, whereas we'd often expect these characteristics to be far apart. We are encouraged to uphold the attributes of both. Now on this day, I like to give some encouraging reminders of etiquette at Holy Mass. And the first one deals with dressing up and dressing modestly. Who more than God deserves our Sunday best? Now I will hear people use an excuse as a sort of a cop-out. God doesn't care so much about those things as much as the fact that we are showing up. But the people around you will either benefit or suffer from the choices we make. As members of the one body of Christ, we need to help one another in our common walk of discipleship. Proper attire at Mass is for the good of everyone. For God, to whom we give due respect. For the priest, who is not distracted by anything unseemly. To your neighbor, who has in you a kindred spirit, and for you yourselves. There are things we set aside to wear at the gym or at a bonfire. Well, you're not at a gym or bonfire right now, and I appreciate your respect of the reality of this place and setting. Secondly, the church asks of us a brief fast before receiving communion. All of you who popped a breath mint or have chewed gum since you came to church today have broken that fast for communion. And it's my duty as pastor to remind you of this policy. Now you may think, well, Father, that's only a few calories, if that. But it is no small thing. I hunger for Christ because I receive him here in an entirely unique way. My Savior should not have to take second place to a tic-tac. Also, remember to pause and make a slight bow before receiving our Lord when you take Holy Communion. This tells us that what we are doing is not routine, but stands in a place by itself. Jesus invites us to his table in an extraordinary way. And I like to remind myself of two primary truths. What Jesus gives us here, his very self, we cannot provide for ourselves. And what we receive here, we cannot receive from anyone else, anywhere else. Amen.